0: So today we're to the end of our series that we've been doing on the Sermon on the Mount. We're uh, at uh, Jesus's final words. Uh, starting next week, we'll do a begin a summer series on um, uh, the life of Jacob uh, out of uh, Genesis. Uh, I think it'll be a good uh, series for us because uh, there are plenty of Jacobs among us, and so I think uh, we have a lot uh, a lot uh, there uh, to learn. So before I read the text, uh, let me pray. Uh, pray with me. Uh, Father, we come to you uh, now hearing <clears throat> these uh, last words that Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we, um, we need uh, to hear these words. Uh, we need to believe them, and by your Spirit, By your grace and by your power, uh, we need to do them. And so I pray that you would help us with that today. And Lord, I pray today for those who um, lack assurance of your love, that you would uh, turn them uh, in repentance uh, to see and uh, the cross to know the atoning work that you have done and that you would give the gift of faith and that you would be about the business of changing uh, your people more and more into your image. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 7, uh, 24 to 29, text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. Uh, This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. So as someone who's in the business of of public speaking, one of the things that, uh, one of the rules. Kind of a rule that you use in public speaking is that the first thing that you say and the last thing that you say are kind of the most important things because you hope that people remember the first thing you said if you're not too long, and then hopefully they remember the last thing you said. So Jesus is giving some uh, very pointed and very direct instructions here at the end of uh, this sermon. And so for uh, if you if you look you know if it's he's clear uh, here as we've seen over the last few weeks that there are only two ways only two he talks about the two gates the two paths the two trees and now the two men the two houses and the two foundations right so he's very clear to us in, in the way in which he wants us to hear this, to, to to see this, and to unpack this in our lives. Now, here's the thing, you know, what what you would expect, and I think one of the ways we tend to think about the way Jesus should have ended the sermon is to say to us, everything's fine. Everything's hunky-dory. Go enjoy your brunch. And... Have a great Sunday afternoon. But Jesus loves us. And so he ends the sermon with some clear warnings. Now, here's the thing about warnings. Uh, Sometimes uh, we think of warnings as fear-mongering. And there is a degree to which what the things that Jesus says here, you know, about the, the the trees being thrown in the fire and the great fall of the house and those sorts of things that that we hear that and we think, oh, you know, is Jesus trying to scare us into the kingdom of God? I don't think that's the case. But I think what he is doing here is he is loving us enough to tell us the truth and to tell us the pathway, the way of life, the habits that tend toward life in light of hearing and seeing his word and his work on our behalf. So warnings, uh, begging us to pay attention uh, and to take these things seriously is an evidence of love. My senior year in high school, on a February afternoon, we had come home uh, on a Sunday from church, ate a big lunch. That is what we did, even though it was just my mom and my dad uh, then at the house. Uh, Right before we ate lunch, it was my job to clean out the wood stove that we used to heat our house and to take the ashes out and to dump them uh, on the ash pile. We ate a big lunch. We settled down in the den like we did on Sunday afternoons, reading the newspaper, sports on the TV in the background, half awake, half asleep. There was a beating on our front door. Somebody was at our front door banging as hard as they could, screaming. My dad goes and opens the door, and it's our neighbor, and this is how you know that this is happening in the South, May Audrey, that was her name, who lived about a half a mile away, uh, is out of breath, screaming at us that our barn was on fire. Sure enough, uh, a barn that had uh, several hundred bales of hay in it, a tractor, A number of other things was on fire. So what did we do? My dad and I sprint out of the house, go to the barn, run in there, start throwing things out of it. He cranked the tractor up, got it out. We were grabbing things. And in the midst of this, you know, it's funny as I remember this, I remember vividly looking at the fire. I don't remember the smoke and I don't even remember it being hot, which says a lot about Uh, I think, the effect of adrenaline. And my dad started yelling at me, quit grabbing stuff in the barn and get some water on, there was a tank next to the barn that had 500 gallons of diesel fuel in it. Um, and so, you know, I was scrambling around trying to get some water on it, trying to cool it off. Uh, the last thing I remember, my dad ran into the, the, to get something. He ran into the barn and he was, this shows how uh, panicked we were. There was an aluminum ladder that he was reaching for <laughs> in a fire. Um, and fortunately, he saw that it was beginning to melt. Uh, and, and so he left it alone. Uh, and that, I remember it when we were cleaning up after the fire, that ladder was just this kind of little pile of shiny stuff laying on the ground. Um, the tank obviously didn't blow up. I'm here today. Uh, and uh, that fire started probably because I was careless, about uh, putting the uh, ashes where I was supposed to put them. Now, May Audrey could have just let our barn burn down and not warned us, not told us. Uh, but if she hadn't loved us enough to tell us what was happening, uh, literally, God only knows what would have happened as a result of that fire. Warnings are sobering. Uh, Warnings are uh, challenges to the status quo. Warnings are intended to alert us to the danger of the path that we may be pursuing. And so that's what Jesus does. Here at the end of the sermon. And it's good for us uh, to hear this uh, and uh, to see this, because what Jesus—next slide, please, Brian—the thing that Jesus wants us to do and wants us to see is that the path, the solid foundation, the fruitful tree, leads to real life, flourishing— now the way we tend to think about that is, you know, that that uh, and, a, and a, a distortion of what Jesus is getting at here is that flourishing means no suffering, that flourishing means no difficulties, that flourishing means uh, that these things don't touch us. But what Jesus is saying to us is not that at all. What he's saying to us is in the world in which we live, and in the life that we lead, that there is a pathway that tends towards real, solid life, and that tends towards flourishing that is not affected, not undone by the circumstantial issues that happen in our life. It's an important thing for us to get at because Jesus wants us to experience the fullness of life, the fullness of joy, the fullness of hope, the fullness of those things even in the midst of challenges, difficulties, and struggles, right? And so what he is saying here in the text and what he's being clear about this is, is that one of these ways— ends in destruction. One of these ways ends in a way that, as he says here, great is the fall of that house. We want to avoid that, right? And the other thing that he that we need to note about this is is that the question is what are these storms that come and beat against the house that we've built of our life? Right? Now, we could think it might be a cancer diagnosis. We could think that it might be uh, a job setback or a financial setback. It could be a relational setback, those sorts of things. And those things certainly are real and genuine and difficulties. But in the context of this sermon and in the context of the greater uh, uh, witness of the Bible, storms are most often uh, evidences to us of the judgment of God. And here's the thing about this. These two houses that we're talking about, these two houses that are built, one on the sand and one on the rock, how do you tell the difference? I don't know if you live in a neighborhood where they're still building houses, but I bet some of you go walk, and when you take your walks in the afternoon around your neighborhood, you go and you look at those houses and you judge them, right? Is this house going to increase property value? Is this this house going to help our neighborhood? Is that house better than mine, you know? Well, these two houses look terrific, stunning, beautiful. Granite countertops or butter. Um, one of the things I've been coveting lately, and if you have this in your house, I covet it, and I would just go ahead and confess that, is the house that has the, the spigot over the stove. I'm like, that is so cool. Why didn't I do that? I know why I didn't do that. But the, the fact is, I look at that and I think, you know, if I ever build another house, I'm going to do that. That's, that's what I'm going to do. That's so cool. Well, this house, has, these two houses look like that. They're beautiful. They are stunning. They make it on the Richmond tour of homes, both of them. You can't tell the difference between these two houses until the storm comes. And when the storm comes, the true nature the real foundation, the quality of construction, the quality of engineering becomes clear. Because the house that has a solid foundation weathers the storm, and the house with a shaky foundation does not. There are many storms that will come your way in life, but the determining storm, the the storm that reveals, ultimately, The foundation of your life is the storm of judgment. The storm of judgment. And so, what Jesus is getting at here is, is that there are two ways to to go about your life, two ways to go about the way in which we think about ourselves, and much of what he's getting at here, and much of what the sermon has been about, and much of what following after Jesus is, is about the kind of habits, the kind of habitual things that we do with what Jesus says, right? And that's what he is getting at here, right? And so he is using his authority to tell us the truth and to warn us. He is entreating us to listen, to self-evaluate, and to turn. Now, the, the, thing, the thing that is, is so challenging and so hard about this is, is that we tend not to take these warnings very seriously. We tend to like to be content and we tend to like to be uh, kind of set in our ways. Or we tend to think, you know, the fact is I cynically down deep in my heart of hearts do not believe that I can change. And even worse than that, we believe that Jesus cannot change us. So what Jesus is getting at here is, what he says is, listen, these two ways here are compared in this way. Both men, both builders, hear. Both builders hear the word. And so what you have to see about this is, this warning that Jesus is giving here is not to those out there. It's not to the world, the outsiders. This warning is to us. It's to the insiders. It's to the people who are the hearers, right? It's to the people who are Uh, uh, that that have the word of God, the teaching of Jesus, the the proclamation of the gospel uh, readily present to our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our lives. And so, what he wants us to understand and what he wants us to get at here is, is that the issue before us uh, is the reality of belief. That if we hear and we see, and we believe. It's not so much a matter of the accumulation of truth as it is taking the truth that we hear and that we see and we believe, being moved by the atoning work of Christ, being moved by his great love, by his great patience, by his great, perp- uh, his great mercy to us, and that that Issues in our life, not just in belief, but in a belief that has legs, a belief that has action, a belief that moves. And that's what he wants us to think about, and that's what he wants us to hold up as, as, as we think about this. And that's so key for us today to understand, because the fact is, this is Jesus's love. For his church. This is his love for his followers. This is his love for his people to say, listen, you know, I want you to have a great life. I want you to have life to the full. That is why I came. And life to the full isn't simply hearing. Life to the full isn't simply knowing. Those things are important. Those things matter, but they issue in our lives... With change. They issue in our lives with a growing sense that I, as Jesus says here in, in the, uh, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, that my poverty of spirit is present with me because I understand that the life that Jesus is calling me to and the rich and the full life of flourishing that He has for me is a life of ongoing repentance. It is a life of consistently returning to the work of Christ and crying out to Him to give me faith, to continue to give me faith, but not just that, but to continue to change me, to reorient me, to move in me, to make me a different kind of person. One of the things that uh, I have uh, thought about uh, recently, and one of the things that will be evidence in the teaching and preaching ministry of the church, and one of the things that will be evident in the way in which we do our liturgies and that sort of thing going forward is, as uh, the challenges that we faced over the last couple of years and the the difficulties that we have faced, I think one of the things that is important for us in the midst of this is to... uh, uh, get down to simplicity, simple things, true things, even old things. Um, and and what I mean by that is this: is that you know the church uh, can be viewed as many things, but the only things that we have as the church. That that uh, the the promise of God accompanies that He tells us will achieve the things that He wants achieved in us are very simple things. It's the Word. It's the sacraments. It's our prayers together. It's our fellowship with one another. That these are the things that God gives to us as means uh, to change us, as means to, uh, 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 as the Scriptures tell us, transform us on a daily basis more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, as as we as we think about that, that is. That is the thing that Jesus wants us to see here in this text, is that we as his people, we as his followers, we as the hearers of the word, we who are the studiers of the word, we who are the ones who have this rich deposit of grace and truth and the power of the Spirit, evidence that we really hear that we really believe by turning consistently to him and to expecting the reality that he will change us and that that change will be difficult it will be challenging but it's life that is our life um what Paul says in First Timothy six, I think, is a great kind of summary of what Jesus is getting at here in this text. But you, man of God, woman of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, endurance. That's that's a really undervalued uh, virtue. Um, when uh, my middle son was thinking about, you know, what kind of athletic prowess he would have. Uh, he was he was fast. He could run and he could run a long time. And and I told him, I'm like, man, you need to be you need you need to be a runner. You need to be a long distance runner. And he's like, why is that? I'm like, well, all you got to have is endurance. You don't have to have I hand-eye coordination, you don't have to have great skills, you just got to do it, you just got to put in the miles, and you can do it, right? Isn't that so, just rolls right off my tongue, doesn't it? I mean, that's just, yeah, just endurance, what's that? That's easy, not, you know, you don't need any talent, you know, just do it, and gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, now, the thing that we hear that sometimes, we think about that is, if you're like me, I'm always looking for somebody to fight, right? <laughs> Nothing feels like life to me than getting in a good fight, right? You know, I, 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 I love that. But the, the fact is, fighting the good fight of faith for, for what the text says here is that we're fighting ourselves, in a sense. We're fighting our flesh right? Uh, With the application of the truth of the gospel to give us repentance and and that it would uh, uh, do its work in us. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. in the sight of God who gives life to everything. You see the theme of life that's coming out of this? life to everything, and of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one can, has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. He's going on a tear here, isn't he, right? Forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. And here's the kicker. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And so when Jesus says these words to us, he's loving us. He's patiently, mercifully, kindly, graciously, gently saying, listen, the path that I want you on, it is not the path of of, uh, ease or the path of, of, of kind of some sort of just contentment with the way things are. It is a path of struggle, but it is the path of struggle that is our life. That the life of Christ in us, true flourishing, true joy, true hope, true patience, these things happen to us when we come to grips with the fact and we pray along with the Apostle Paul, you know, when we see the fact that we are struggling, we see our gaps, we are confronted with our failures, and we cry out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God that I have the Lord Jesus Christ who is at work in me changing me, moving me, uh, convicting me, uh, turning me more and more away from myself to him to embrace the reality of what Christ has done for me. And that gives evidence then to the way my life is changing. And the way, the way my life is being reoriented. And I want to be clear about something about this now. You know, one of the ways, one of the things that we get so wrong in the church is that we think this work that God is doing in us, this work of changing us, of reorienting us, is, is for us. So that we'll live a better life. But the better life, the life that is truly life, is a life not about us. right? And so that this change that he is making in us is for the glory of God, but it's also for others, that that is what he is doing. That is the pathway uh, to to real life. So the question is, and that Jesus is challenging us with here is, have you encountered him? Have you seen his death for you? Have you seen the fact that he has atoned for your shortcomings, your failures and your sins, even the ones that you're doing right now? And as you do that, the question has to be, what difference does it make? What change comes about in me because I had been confronted by grace. The word of God, the proclamation of the gospel, never leaves someone unchanged, ever. We, We know from the scriptures, from the teaching of the Bible, that the proclamation of the work of God on our behalf will either harden us, And it'll harden us in a way where it'll puff us up to make us boast, to think that we are something that we are not. Or it will uh, harden us to cynically think that this sin that I harbor, this sin that I've struggled with for 20 years is bigger than the cross. Or it will soften us and move us in repentance and move us to see this reality about what's happening in our lives, to lay hold even more to the work of Christ and that he would do the work of change in us. The church is about the business of change. The Holy Spirit is about the work of change. The the gospel is about the work of change. What greater change can there be from dead to life, right? Right? I think this is I think this is a good good thing for us today to to kind of to to lay hold of these things and to think about these things not to rob you of the assurance of God's grace to you and not to rob you of the assurance of his mercy of his kindness of his gentleness of his claim on your life but it is to warn us and to cause us to ask the question and I know this is a question listen I know this is a question that is like yikes don't you know I'm an elder, don't ask me this question. Are you even a Christian? Now, that seems like such a terrible question to ask, but it is the best question. Because what it leads us to is, it's a very clear path to come to grips with that question. I entrust myself to Jesus. Jesus change me. Now, obviously, no one gets into the kingdom of God based on their obedience. None of us could do this. This is an impossible, the, the, you know, I, I hope one of the things that you carry away from the Sermon on the Mount is that this is an impossible standard, right? If, 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 if you don't have a sacrifice on your behalf, if you don't have someone atone for you, don't kid yourself. You are not loving your enemies, You are not praying for and blessing your persecutors. You and I are not quick to forgive, right? But Jesus does that work for us. And because he does that work for us, it reorients us, it changes us, it moves us, right? Not perfectly. Until the day you die, there will be sin clinging to your life. But it does move us. So how do you know you're a Christian? Right? Well, We know we are Christians, and we know that we're not building our house upon the sand. When we recognize that whatever else may be true about us, and whatever our struggles may be, be, it may be that the foundation, the 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 motion of my heart and my life, is that Jesus, my Savior, who atoned for my sins, would have His way with me, and have His way in me. One of the things that I think um, is. Uh, So uh, challenging for us uh, in this uh, is uh, that we tend to, uh, when we think of the gospel, when we think of the work of God in us, we tend to put ourselves in a situation where we just say, oh, well, I guess this life I'm living is, is all that there is. And yet, what the gospel promises to us, what Jesus promises to us, and the work that he is doing in and through and for us is to give us a fuller life than we could ever imagine possible, to prepare us ultimately for the eternal life that is rich and full and free and sinless. So this is a good word for us today. It's a good, good, good time for us to, as I guess they say, take a kind of a self-inventory to, to look at ourselves. And, and, and as the Spirit probes us and challenges us to take Jesus at his word that he died for that thing that is troubling your conscience today. And not only did he die for that, but the power that raised him from the dead is alive in you. Alive in me that we need to stir one another with that truth to believe and to act upon the reality of the promise of God. It's good for us today to come, uh, as we think about these things, to come to the Lord's Supper. Uh, How Jesus gives us this bread and this cup to energize us, to strengthen us, uh, to challenge us, Uh, to cause us to look internally and to cry out to him to continue his work of changing us. Join me now with the words of institution. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, the gifts of God for the people of God. Would you join me in uh, confessing uh, our sins? O Lord, who has mercy upon all, forgive my sin and mercifully kindle the fire of your Holy Spirit in me. Take away my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh, a heart to love and adore you, a heart to delight in you, to follow and to enjoy you. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The scriptures tell us, On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it uh, to his disciples. This uh, table, these things that we eat and drink, are not that unlike other things that we eat and drink. The act of eating uh, is one of the ways that God provides for what our body needs uh, to function, to work, to to breathe, to live, to walk, to to do the things that we do. This This nourishment is intended to energize us to be followers of Christ and to be doers of, the, of, of his word. Um, and so it is intended not only as an opportunity for us to repent, not only is it a, a, a intended as an opportunity for us to, uh, to uh, see and to trust and to proclaim, again, Christ's death, his atoning death, his forgiveness of our sins, his application of righteousness to us, but it is also intended to energize us to for the struggle to pursue real life. Real life. Um, and that's why he gives us this. Not simply to um, as just some sort of token that we go through, but it actually has spiritual uh, effect and the way in which we think and believe and live and love. It's such a great gift uh, to us, Uh, and it's such a wonderful time in the life of the church for us to do this. This is for your nourishment so that you will have the energy to do and to be what Jesus calls you to do and to be. If your hope and your faith today uh, is in Jesus Christ, his work for you, and you proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere, he stands here today uh, to feed you, to nourish you for the struggle that he knows that this life is. Uh, As the elders come down front uh, to assist me uh, this morning, uh, let me uh, tell you a couple of things. Uh, The uh, outer rings of the trays Uh, have wine, a cup with wine, and underneath that cup is a gluten-free wafer. The internal rings that are actually purplish uh, have uh, grape juice with a gluten-free wafer underneath them. Um, If you are uh, uncomfortable taking uh, the elements, from one of the uh, elders. Um, You're free to come to the table that's right here to take it. If you're uncomfortable with coming forward at all, please raise your hand and we'll see to it uh, that you get served. Um, Once everyone is served, we'll uh, eat the bread and drink the cup uh, together. And one other thing, if you come forward and you only want grape juice or you only want wine, and there is no grape, if your preferred element, if it's not in the tray, go to another line where there will be, we have enough. We just might not have enough, like with BJ might run out or uh, Kevin might run out, but Tom has plenty or Richard has plenty. So. Uh, the communion uh, prep team wanted to make sure I told you that. If you're uncomfortable with coming forward, raise your hand, and we'll see to it uh, that you ultimately get served. Did I, is, that, is that everything? That's it. Okay. Uh, did, did I say the part about where uh, we'll, after everyone's served, we'll eat together? Did I say that? Okay. 62. All right.